Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Do we all remember watching the movie, The, the Incredibles? Remember it's a family about a, a family of superheroes, the awe of powers, and this movie revolves around a conflict caused by Syndrome, our supervillain of the story. But if you remember at the beginning of this movie, Syndrome is not his real name. It's not his original superhero name. Do we remember what it is? It's Buddy. His name was Incrediboy. His name was this because he wanted to be just like Mr. Incredible. That's who he idolized. That's who he looked up to. He wanted to be super just like him. So the beginning of the movie, Mr. Incredible does what he does best, and he is saving the world uh, in the middle of this heroic action. Guess who shows up to help? Buddy. He wants to be useful. He wants to be seen, so he shows up to help his hero. And after a series of an unfortunate events, Buddy gets in the way, messes things up. The bad guy gets away. And do we remember what Mr. Incredible says? Go home, buddy. I work alone. And what we see from, from this movie and where this kind of has a disconnect from reality, from real people is that, you know, from this moment, Buddy becomes Syndrome and his life's purpose is to rid the world of superheroes. But this isn't really how people work, right? We're more complicated, we're more nuanced than what can be uh, portrayed in under two hours because we have all, I'm sure, had a similar moment of rejection, of pain, of heartache. We all have these memories we hold on to that are full of shame and regret. But that doesn't mean we're going to become supervillains or bad people. But what we see, though, that in Buddy's woundedness, he begins to interact with and see superheroes in a different light. It changes his perception of them. And because of that, it changes the way that he engages with them. And what we're going to see in our text and what is true for all of us is that we are all hurt and wounded people. And from that, we have this temptation to interact with people through our woundedness, which leads to hurt, heartache, leads to difficult relationships, and this is what we see happening in Genesis 16. And in this story, we find it is full of brokenness, it is full of heartache. We find Sarai, who becomes Sarah, who is married to Abram, who we know becomes Abraham. I know it gets a little confusing there, but Sarai in this story is unable to have children. And this is a a pain that a hurt that I'll never be able to understand or imagine But I'm sure that there's many here at Highland who have become unwanted acquaintances with this particular type of pain. And because of that, we know that this is a wounding, this is a painful difficulty in Sarai's life. And we see that it's intensified because she believes God has caused this to happen. This is what we read in Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now our sermon is not going to answer the question of if God caused this or not, because our our text, our passage, doesn't really seem to be interested in answering that question. But 
what it emphasizes is that this is clearly how Sarai is making sense of the situation. It's how she, she feels in this moment. She feels as if God has taken away this precious gift of life, this gift of motherhood. Can you imagine how that would feel? The heartache and the confusion and the chaos that that would cause within us. And this is what wounds Sarai. This is what she brings into our story. So we have Sarai, and then we have Hagar, or Hagar. I'm probably probably going to mix it and say both, so forgive me. But Hagar in our story is our other character. And we don't know much about Hagar. A lot of her pain and her woundedness we get to experience and see firsthand in the text. But we do know this one thing. We know that she is from Egypt. And we also know earlier from Genesis that Abram and his family have come through Egypt which is where we would assume Hagar has entered into our story, entered into our picture, that she was bought or has been brought into this family and she's no longer a part of her family, no longer from her own land, her own people group. And for those who've experienced a similar separation, know that this is something we cannot take lightly, that there is something disorienting, something chaotic about being in a place that we cannot call home or that is not our own. So we see that in Hagar's new circumstance, in this new family, in this new land, it has caused a potential wound for her to interact with her new people, her new family. So let's read now what takes place between Sarai and Hagar. Picking back up in verse 2, and this is Sarai speaking. So, go to my servant. Maybe she will provide me with children. Abram did just as Sarai said. And Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Abram's wife, Sarai, took her Egyptian servant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. And he slept with her, and she became pregnant. But when she realized that she was pregnant, she no longer respected her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, This harassment is your fault. I allowed you to embrace my servant, but when she realized she was pregnant, I lost her respect. Let the Lord decide who is right, you or me. Abram said to Sarai, since she's your servant, do whatever you wish to her. So Sarai treated her harshly and she ran away from Sarai. Do you feel the anguish and the pain going on here? We have Sarai who is frustrated with her inability to have children, the heartache that comes from that. So she convinces Abram to take Hagar as his wife in hopes that in some way she may have children. So then Hagar becomes Abram's wife, and we do not read this in the text, but we wonder how much of an option Hagar has here. Hagar, who is a servant, recently joined this family. If you think about her social position, it seems as if she had no other option but to become Hagar's, or become Abram's wife. So we see another pain, another wound placed on top of Hagar. And on top of that, she is used as a means to an end, to have children for another, a couple, not even for her own purpose. And when we read that Hagar does in fact become pregnant, she looks down on Sarai because she's now done something that Sarai was not capable of doing. The same person who put her in this situation, she now has risen above her. And it seems as if Hagar is using this pregnancy as some sort of resemblance of control in her life where it had been taken away 
from her. So she disrespects, mistreats Sarai. And notice what does Sarai do immediately in return. Goes to Abram, her husband, says, what am I to do here? Abram, as this disconnected third party who doesn't even really seem involved in this story, says, do whatever you wish. So she deals harshly with Hagar. Hurt for hurt, wound for wound, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. What we find in Hagar's story is the cycle of hurting that is taking place among relationships. And before we move on, I think we all kind of need to accept and maybe embrace something here. And that is that Hagar and Sarai are not unique in any way. They're not more sinful than we are. They're not more broken than us. And as followers of Jesus, we've all accepted, been baptized into the truth that we are sinners in need of grace. That's why Jesus came to earth, why he died on the cross, so he could put to death sin and that we may be filled with his grace and his blood. But we also know that sin hurts. That's why God designates it as sin, because it causes crisis, confusion, and corruption in the lives of his people. So if we are all sinners in need of grace, that means we have all been wounded in some way. But I think this is important to accept because sometimes it is easier to say, I am a sinner, than it is to say, I've been deeply hurt by sin. And we, say, we see this play out in the world all around us. We see the, the ripples of the stone that falls in the water, but we don't always see the sin and the pain that starts it. We see the behavior, but not the starting point. You know, we see it in the father at the Little League game who's causing a scene, yelling at the ref, demanding perfection from his son. But what we don't see is the father's own Little League games where his father was never present. We see it in the schoolyard bully who causes chaos and hurts others. But we don't see the, the brokenness of the home. We don't see the distant parents. We see marriages that have crumbled apart and fallen away separated but we don't see the addiction, the unreasonable expectations that are brought in from past relationships into this union made by God. We see the behavior, but we don't always see the pain that starts it. In church, I think we can't ignore the fact that this happens within faith communities. We are not immune to this type of hurt, which means we are not immune to accidentally hurting people through our own, maybe unknown woundedness that's hidden away inside. This is one of the main reasons why I hear young people are keeping their distance from church. It's not that the gospel has lost its power, that there's a lack of faith in God, but it's because they have been deeply hurt by people in the church and they simply do not want to be hurt anymore. So they stay away. And I think this is important to recognize that this same story of Hagar and Sarai unfolds and plays out in our lives every single day. That through our woundedness, there is a potential to engage with people through that and to hurt and create these cycles and cycles of hurting. And we believe this is important because of what we believe to be true about God. That we know, as, as Aaron read for us in Revelation, that God is going to make all things new. That in that there will be no more pain, no more sin, no more suffering. But we also read this in Revelation 21. That he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So you see, God is not only interested in creating a place where sin is not existent, but he's interested in the healing process that, that will require, the redemption that will take of wiping away the tears. We see God desires to end these cycles of hurting. 
to bring them to an end. And as people who claim Christ as king, this is the mission that we join. This is the space that as a church we are trying to create where comfort and healing can happen and not where it is continued. Because as we see with Sarai and Hagar, this leads to more separation, more corruption, more hurt. So let's see now how God enters into this cycle. Picking up in verse 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For he, she said, truly here I've seen him who looks after me. So how does God enter into Hagar's pain? We see first that he invites her to name her trauma. Because he doesn't only ask her, Hagar, where are you going? Or Hagar, why on earth are you in the middle of the wilderness alone while you're pregnant? What are you doing here? No, he begins by saying, where are you coming from? What about your past has brought you to this point where you're alone in the wilderness? You see, God invites her to name and to bring the light and voice how she has been wounded. And through this, she becomes aware and knows that God does in fact seize her pain. So notice how God responds here. What does God do? He doesn't encourage her to, you know, keep on trucking, move ahead, grit your teeth, move on, forget about it, don't think about it. No, we find that he simply acknowledges her situation, acknowledges what's going on, makes her feel heard. He doesn't ask her to keep pressing on in the same direction, which we need to remember is wandering in the wilderness alone while she's pregnant, which is probably not the best thing for her. But he calls her back to end this cycle of hurting, calls her to begin this long journey of healing that starts with going back to Abram and Sarai. We see that through the naming of her son Ishmael, that in, God, in fact God is someone who hears her affliction and that through this experience, something deep within Hagar has changed, has been transformed because she is able and confidently says, I've seen the one who sees me that you are a God of seeing. I've seen the one who looks after me. And I think there's something satisfying about this in our souls, that God does not ignore the pain, doesn't belittle it, but he acknowledges it with kind of brutal honesty. Do you notice what he says to Hagar? He tells about her son, Ishmael, how he's going to be a, against his kinsmen. He's going to have a difficult life. He's calling her back into a difficult situation. But through this, through his presence being known in this wilderness, she can say, I've seen the God 
who sees me. Have you ever listened to the radio show Delilah? Comes on late at night. Uh, she plays popular music. Her show is actually quite remarkable. She has calls every single night, almost 30,000 every single night of people who call in. If you've never listened, she plays popular music, but then in between the songs, she takes people's calls of confession and hurting, people who share these deep, intimate moments of their life. So she gets calls about how ex-spouses wish that they had not made that decision, not made that choice. They just wish that they were still with the one that they had married. They don't know what to do. She takes calls of, of family members who have people serving overseas, and there's just such a loneliness, such a despair, and there's an unknowing of when they're going to be returning. And she hears people talk about this, this longing for people who've passed away in their life. Isn't that amazing? 30,000 people calling every night, sharing their most intimate hurts and their wounds with a complete stranger in front of thousands of people. We would expect that that wouldn't work, but they've heard day in and day out. They've been listening to the show that the Lila has created this place where she hears the people that there's a space to be heard and seen and known where they can share without being judged. I wonder what that type of ministry would look like here at Highland. Because that's what this is. This is potential kingdom work. This is what Hagar and Sarai so desperately needed in Genesis 16. This is what we so desperately need. It's what our coworkers and our neighbors need is to be heard and known and be able to say with confidence, I've seen the one who sees me. Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians, is, is encouraging them to create this type of church, this type of place where people are directed towards God to be known and seen. And this is what he says in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. That may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. He is the compassionate Father and God of all comfort. He, he's the one who comforts us in all of our trouble so that we can comfort other people who are in every kind of trouble. We offer the same comfort that we ourselves received from God. That is because we receive so much comfort through Christ in the same way that we share so many of Christ's sufferings. So if we have trouble, it is to bring you comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is to bring you comfort from the experience of endurance while you go through the same suffering that we also suffered. Our hope for you is certain because we know that as you are partners in suffering, so also you're partners in comfort. So in church, I wonder what this ministry of seeing may look like, what it would look like to partner in people's comforts, to partner in people's sufferings. And this is the question that Genesis 16 leads us to ask. It's an important question. And I don't have the answer to that, but I think it shows us where to begin, that we begin with ourselves in light of God's love and care, that we bring forth an honesty and confession to God, how exactly we've been hurt by the sin and the brokenness of this world. That we can say with confidence that you are a God of seeing. And I think from there, the radio show Delilah shows that this is something that people so desperately need in the world. This is what they are longing for. 
So as a church, we make a place where people's pain can be named and known, where they can know similar people. But it ends with being directed to the God who sees them. Henry Nouwen would put it like this in his book called The Wounded Healer. Who can listen to a story of loneliness and despair without taking the risk of experiencing similar pains in his own heart and even losing his precious peace of mind? Which I think is something we so desperately try to cling on to is this peace of mind. He continues on, in short, who can take away suffering without entering it? This is what Jesus does. Last week, Eric talked about how through your generosity and how through God's miraculous workings here at Highland, we keep finding these loaves of bread in the pantry to give to God's kingdom. Just keep finding more and more of it. And one of those ways in which we keep finding loaves of bread is this ministry of fostering. We keep finding more and more families who are passionate about the service. We keep finding more and more people who are interested in providing to this ministry. In fact, that's what we are doing today. We're celebrating, honoring, and blessing our families who choose to go into fostering by giving them gift cards and money to bless the children they will be working with and living with. So I encourage you, if you maybe forgot this weekend, we'll be collecting those next weekend as well, because that is such a good, important work. But I mentioned fostering because what God does with Hagar and Sarai, what Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to do is what is being played out in the lives of families who choose to foster. They are entering into the suffering and these cycles of hurting that have been caused by the world. They are opening up their homes and their tables and their lives to children in the hopes that they may know that they are seen by a God who loves them. And what's difficult is that this doesn't make life easier. It makes it more painful because they will hear stories and a heartache that I'm sure it would be much easier to never have heard, never have known. But that's what comes with the ministry of seeing. That's what God is calling us into. And as we partner and as we comfort with people who are hurting, it, asks, it leads us to ask the question, how can I do this in my own life, my own workplaces, my own neighborhoods? And we cling on to this hope that as we do this, we are right behind the footsteps of Jesus that this is what he did in the gospels, that he came into the world, entered into humanity, into the brokenness of the world, so that by his wounds, we could be healed. By his suffering, by his pain, he brings it into the cycle of hurting that we cause among one another. He shows us the way of authenticity and openness and grace. He enters into our suffering and it is by his wounds we are healed. And it is this life that we now celebrate at the table, his body and his blood. As we take the bread and the cup, we celebrate a God who sees us. That this moment, another time this week, it might be available. Right now is a time where we can unearth this pain. Give it to God as a sacrifice and say, I know you see this and I know that you are going to take it away. That I am joining and being become a part of this long journey of healing and that as by your blood and your wounds, we are healed. And that's what we celebrate and now remember as we take communion. So let's pray. Holy Father, we are overwhelmed by your goodness, that we long for the days in which Jesus returns, where tears are wiped away. But until that time, we cling on to the Lord and Savior and King who enters into our suffering. 
who reminds us that you are a God of seeing the one who looks after us in our hurtedness and our wounds. We know that you are with us. And that as we remember the body and the blood of Jesus, as we take this bread and the cup, we are reminded just of your grace and mercy that washes through our lives. We pray that we humbly come to you now to your table and are transformed and changed by your graces and your graces alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.